Hi, I'm Jacqueline. And I'm Courtney. And this is Caffeinated Crimes. This is our Halloween edition. Spooky, spooky. Um, it is very late at night again. Um, we are just, it's been, it's been a busy, busy few weeks. So we're trying to mm-hmm. fit everything in where we can. Here it is after nine o'clock on a Tuesday night. So, you know, I'm going to do my be best. Like 36 is when we got on and then we mm-hmm. talked for like 30 minutes and now, now here we are. Um, yeah. I don't know how so this happened, but <laughs> it happens every time we it act does. shocked every time. And we have also <laughs> seen each other. We saw each other over the weekend, <laughs> recorded the Patreon last night and are now recording again and have texted most of the day. Yes. And a two minute video of me explaining something that happened in my day was also sent. Like, it's not like we have not talked. <laughs> and then we still just talked for an entire 30 minutes and You know, and then we start recording where we still keep talking nonsense. So, okay. So if you guys are here on Patreon, it is a video episode. So hello, we are waving. We are doing all the fun stuff. Um, If you guys are new, we do these once a month on Patreon. So uh, just a regular episode that you guys get in video version, unedited, because we're kind of lazy and kind of dumb kind of combination of both don't really know how to edit or really care to take the time to do it so you just get and let's be honest that many people don't watch it so exactly not gonna put that much time into it it's not really watched (laughs) so yeah so we do have some fun spooky um halloween backgrounds that we're going to add on for you guys and we have not seen each other's so courtney are you ready ready yes are we gonna count down Oh, oh no. Okay. 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 Go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I almost did that one. Isn't it cute? Almost. With little that one is really cute. And the, yes. The graves. There was a skull one I really wanted to do. Um, but it was like in the middle, so I felt like you couldn't really see it. I saw that one too. And there was another one I saw that I can't remember which one it was, but it like was your entire head that I'm like. Okay, so you can't see anything because that's where your head yeah. goes. So like it's a little my confusing. Moon and my little pumpkin. My little pumpkin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um sorry for those of you who are just listening and have no idea what we're talking about, but we are on Patreon if you want to come see this video mm-hmm. and see how many times we mess up our words because it is late at night and It'll you know, it's a struggle. Quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, patreon.com slash caffeinated crimes, and you can see what our backgrounds are. Yes. Plug, plug, plug. Anyway, so we are going to just dive in because it is a long episode and it is late and my eyes are blurring already. And you know, so we're just gonna we're just gonna jump into it. Um, if you guys did not see the title, we are covering the Salem Witch Trials for today's Halloween themed episode. Um and our sources were the Unobscured Season 1 podcast by Aaron Mankey, um, Smithsonian Magazine, Salem.org, HistoryofMassachusetts.org, and the SalemWitchMuseum.com. Which also, everyone, please go listen to Unobscured Season 1. Yes. Because it is truly a work of art. And this is basically, he does like a 12-part hour-long each episode deep dive on the Salem Witch Trials. Um, 
And we are just doing like one episode, clearly. So, and he has like historians on there and like, he's like read basically every book there is and done all the research, like very, very well done. This is just a little tiny, tiny like the, version. The of Cliff it. Notes version of Yeah, the TLDR podcast. of that podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel like that <laughs> just sums up our um where we are in terms of like cultural references <laughs> that I go for cliff notes and Courtney and goes I for, go TLDR. for TLDR. <laughs> Yeah. Yep, yep. That's right. Okay. So jumping on in. In 1689, English rulers William and Mary started a war with France in the American colonies. So this would be known as King William's War to Colonists, and it destroyed regions of upstate New York, Nova Scotia, and Quebec. A lot of refugees fled into the county of Essex, and specifically Salem Village in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. So Salem Village is now Danvers, Massachusetts, and colonial Salem Town became what is now known as Salem. So a lot of these refugees put a hardship on Salem Village, and soon a lot of fighting would begin. So Salem Village pushed really hard to gain independence from Salem Town and become their own entity. And one of the biggest supporters of this was the Putnam family. So their dynasty began in 1641 when old John Putnam arrived and and bought over 800 acres of land. It was then divided between his three sons, Thomas, Nathaniel, and John Jr. So they weren't happy with like a lot of what the town was doing, um, especially because the churches were like a little bit more relaxed on like their practices and kind of more lenient on things. Um, However, the Porter brothers, Joseph, Benjamin, and Isaiah, all had about 2,000 acres of land between them. So they were the most wealthy and influential of the families, especially farming families. And the Porters also had deep financial ties to Salem Town, so an independent Salem village wouldn't really help them financially. And breaking the towns up would break up their properties. So the Putnams are basically like Salem Village, and then the Porters are like Salem Town. So kind of these two separate... Those are kind of like your alliances, which yeah. like it definitely comes in later. <laughs> yes. So they ended up building a meeting place that served as a community center and church. And eventually, Salem Village became a recognized district within Salem Town, and different ministers were brought in to try and unify Salem Town and Salem Village. Um, They had tried for like 12 years to get the church up and running, but it just wasn't really working. So Reverend Samuel Paris came to Salem in 1689. So Samuel's father, Thomas, owned a sugar plantation in Barbados, and Samuel had left in 1670 to attend Harvard, Um, And three years later, just shy of getting his degree, his father died, so he did return to Barbados to take over the plantation. Um, Eventually, it failed, and racial tensions just got really high on the island. And in 1680, he sold everything and went back to Boston. Um, So he did arrive with one of the enslaved people, Tichuba, and her husband. Um, And he eventually heard that Salem Village was looking for a minister. So negotiations took almost a year, but Samuel became Salem Village's fourth minister, He became ordained by the community, and he was, like, really strict, so this caused a lot of controversy there. Um, A lot of people didn't like Reverend Paris because of his rigid ways and his greedy nature. So, if people did not follow, like, what he believed was the proper teaching, he would just refuse to baptize them, which was a really big deal back then. It's like, if you don't get baptized, like, you don't go to heaven. It's like, you need this person to allow this to happen for you. 
And like so, back then, like religion was just such a big thing. Mm-hmm. And that's so talked about in like the unobscured podcast is like, we didn't really go into like all the differences, like between the less strict and strict churches but like they Mm -hmm. just believed like if you were not strict enough like you were the devil and like I mean obviously we're gonna see this but (laughs) yeah like it was just religion was such a big deal like even more than it is today Mm -hmm. Um, it's just kind of like crazy like how religious they were yeah definitely so the Puritan villages believed that all this fighting was the work of the devil of course um and people in this time, you know, they're really religious. They're also like super superstitious. Did not mean to use both of those words together. Um, <laughs> but they believed that the devil like had a lot of power and like meddled in their societies and that the devil could give certain people known as witches the power to harm others in return for their loyalty. Um, so there was a huge witchcraft craze that spread through Europe from the 1300s to the end of the 1600s, and tens of thousands of supposed witches were executed. So in January of 1692, Reverend Paris's daughter Elizabeth, who went by Betty, who was nine, um, and his niece Abigail Williams, who was 11, they started having these like fits. So they would scream and throw things. They would like utter these peculiar sounds and contort themselves in odd positions, just like some weird things going on. Um, so the local doctor blamed the supernatural because clearly he's had so much medical training and that's obviously what it is. Yeah. So, another girl, Anne Putnam, who was 11, also started experiencing these fits. On February 29th, under pressure from magistrates Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne, the three girls blamed their episodes on three women. Tituba, the enslaved woman who was living with the Paris family, Sarah Good, who was a homeless beggar, and Sarah Osborne, who was an elderly, impoverished woman. So, this reminded Reverend Paris of a story that he had heard. So, in 1688, four children from a Boston family, Goodwin, started having unusual symptoms. These fits, seizures, violent twisting, odd contortions. Um, And at some point in their suffering, they said they were being attacked by their neighbor, an elderly Irish immigrant named Goody Glover. So, Goody is not a first name. Like, at this time, Goodman and Goody were like Mr. and Mrs. So, just wanted to put that out there which is so weird i'm like why where did that come from i mean i guess where did mr and mrs come from but like good goody goody Goody. yeah it's It's very interesting um so she was eventually found guilty of witchcraft and was hanged in boston um and there were others as well that had spread around this time and so like clearly this story and others like it are at the top of his mind when thinking about these fits and when sarah good came to his door one day so Sarah Good knocked on the Paris's door, and she and her small daughter had come to beg for help. So she's really known to be, like, rude and unpleasant. She would come and beg, and when people turned her away, she would just, like, mutter under her breath and, like, say things about their property that could have sounded like a curse. You know, if you're someone who is superstitious, they're like, oh, what did you say? Like, are you cursing me? Mm-hmm. What is happening? Um, so on the day she came to the Paris home, Samuel gave the little girl some food and then sent them on. So Sarah did her normal muttering as they left, but now Samuel's like paying more attention to what's happening. Yeah, like she's probably just like, Ugh, that gritty bastard. And he's <laughs> right. like, oh, she's putting a curse on my whole family. <laughs> you heard that, right? <laughs> yeah. So Mary Sibley was watching the girls at one point and tried to make a cure for them. So as you do, obviously, they <laughs> took the girls' urine and mixed it with flour to make biscuits and baked them. 
And again, obviously, they fed the biscuits to the family dog. Because that makes perfect sense. It makes um, no sense. Yeah. So no one's not really sure the reasoning behind this, um, but both girls did experience an increase like in their symptoms after this, this like, just like dramatic uptick in all these symptoms. Um, and so both named Tituba as the attacker. So she denied it, but she did tell them like what had happened with the biscuits. Like she's like, you should know this is like, it's not me. It's that woman beating the urine biscuits to the dog. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure a urine biscuit is a lot more witchy than some muttering, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like... Poor Tituba so, didn't do anything except not be white. Like, right? <laughs> Story of America. Um, so another girl started coming forward, describing being attacked as well. Um, so Elizabeth Hubbard was walking home one night when she saw demonized wolves, and she said that she saw Sarah Osborne's spirit at the same time. Okay. Um, so two constables went to arrest Tituba and Sarah Osborne, and they took note of details of like their houses when they arrested them. They said they were looking for anything related to witchcraft, but they didn't find anything. So they also brought in all four girls, Betty, Abigail, Annie, and Elizabeth, to get further detail. So they were also asked to bring in anyone who could be a witness. And this obviously drew this huge crowd to the meeting hall. Um, and Sarah Good was questioned first. Um, in the meeting hall at this time. So we're going to give a little history on Sarah. So Sarah Good was an outsider, um, but she hadn't started life that way. Her father was a successful pub owner when she was born in 1653. Um, so trouble began when she was 19 years old when he died and he didn't leave any of his wealth to her. So she was just completely alone and like has nothing and no one. Um, so she did have a first husband who was a farmer, but life was really hard for them. They took on took on a lot of debts. And when he died, she just had all this burden on herself. So her second husband, William Good, thought that he could help, but then they just got buried again by the weight of this debt. Um, the couple did have a five-year-old daughter named Dorothy and a three-month-old infant. Um, so Sarah and William, unfortunately, had to sell all of their land in order to support themselves. And by March of 1692, they were homeless. Um, they would often sleep in neighbors' barns and beg for food. So in front of the magistrates, she said that she was not possessed with any spirit, and they asked her if she had made a contract with the devil. He then asked her why she was harming the four girls, and she said, I do not hurt them. And then the girls soon started convulsing in pain and crying out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Hawthorne, of, of course, used this as evidence of witchcraft. I mean, she said, <laughs> I don't do anything. And then they started spazzing. And so now that is evidence of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. So Sarah Good was now blaming Sarah Osborne instead of herself. So William spoke about Sarah on the stand to try and testify to her character. Um, and William had a few weeks earlier said to someone in the town, Sarah is a witch or very close to becoming one. So now he's trying to like back out of this comment and he's like, I was just lashing out after a fight. Um, he said that she was an enemy of all good. So talk about when you shit talk your wife mm. backfiring on you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe you should have kept that one to yourself, but <laughs> you know, I don't know. I also think about all the times I've told Courtney, I'm going to kill my husband. And if my husband died, you know, that would not look yeah, great for me. That's what so. I think all the time, too. Like, I try not to say, like, I'm going to kill someone because what happens if they didn't, like, they get killed? And it's like, well, you sent a text message. <laughs> you was... called her a witch. <laughs> yeah. How dare you? So after all of this, Sarah Good's hearing is now over. 
So now Sarah Osborne was brought in. So Sarah Osborne had no idea like what had happened during Sarah Good's questioning. Um, she had actually been stuck in bed for about a year from an unknown illness. Um, and she couldn't do a lot of things, including attending church. And the community had noticed that like she wasn't there. She wasn't doing the things that she was supposed to do. Um, and after marrying into a distant branch of the Putnam family and raising two sons, her husband died and put his land in the hands of John and Thomas Putnam. So they weren't exactly like sharing with Sarah. And also shortly after his death, she was in a relationship with a young indentured servant named Alexander Osborne. So this is like this huge scandal. Um, they accused them of killing her husband and like they mocked their age difference. The community just gossiped a lot about them. So all four girls then began to like shriek and convulse at the sight of Sarah Osborne. So they believe that they were at this time watching a witch torture her victims. They're like, clearly she is doing this to them. There's no other explanation mm -hmm. for their behavior. So they asked her some of the same questions that they asked Sarah Good. And the magistrates also asked how often she saw Sarah Good. And she's like, I haven't seen her in the last two years. Um, she She's said, I'm, like, I've been in bed for a year. I'm yeah, not seeing right? anybody. <laughs> I'm not doing anything with anyone. You guys have all noticed that. Yeah. Um, and she said, I'm more likely to be bewitched than be one myself. Um, so Hawthorne questioned it. And Sarah Osborne explained that she had a dream where someone broke into her home and hurt her. And she then stopped going to church soon after this dream. So they believed that this dream pointed to her becoming in a contract with the devil. Again, so much you know, logical thinking here, you know? So much logic, so much Clearly, logic. clearly. So now the third woman accused, Tichuba, was clearly more than an outsider in Salem Village. Um, so in most surviving documents, she was called like an Indian, which in the 1690s usually referred to anyone from the Native American tribes in the area. However, she was not from North America. So she had been kidnapped from her home and taken far away. So she began her life in slavery in Barbados and Barbados actually placed a really high value on enslaved people from South America, especially the area that's now known as like Venezuela. So they believe it's probably likely she was kidnapped from there at the age of 10 and taken straight to Barb Barbados to serve there. So it's not like a hundred percent certain, but from like all the clues historians can gather, like they think that's likely like where she came from. So Samuel had brought her and her husband John to Boston when he had sold everything, like as we mentioned before. Um, but it's very important to remember she's not white. And as we see, even today, people are treated differently based on the color of their skin. And in a world where they're calling people witches, it's really not much better. <laughs> like, obviously, this was still happening then as well. Yeah. So Tichupa did say, the devil came to me and bid me serve him. And she said she had seen four women torture the girls, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and she couldn't remember the names of the others. And she also would like reference like the tall man. Um, so according to her, there are like five others beside her, like four women and one man. And Tichuba did apologize for hurting the girls and said she was only doing what she was told to do. Um, she couldn't name the man, but said he would sometimes appear as a hog and a big black dog that would talk to her. Um, she also mentioned like yellow birds and red cats. Um, enough is not really known about Tichuba to understand like why she said these things. Like most people believe she was probably fed lines to say in this time. Mm -hmm. um, and also there's like a big like cultural difference as well. Like, what these like Puritan white Christians believe 
versus, you know, maybe her understanding of what the devil would be or anything like that. I was also um, wondering too, because I'm assuming that English is not her first language and like what kinds of things are lost in translation here too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and she also did mention a wolf that was sent to hurt Elizabeth Hubbard. So Tituba also describes Sarah Osborne turning into a creature to hurt the girls. So she told like a lot of tales. And again, we don't really know why she was saying these things, but of course the girls start acting out again. And Tituba was like, yeah, I can see Sarah good hurting them. And then the girls stopped their fits. So it was just, it was like a big, it was like a play almost. It was a big commotion. Like it was just, it was a circus. (laughs) Like, So the three women were taken to, to jail to be held while awaiting like an official trial. So this was just kind of like a conversational, like a questioning in front of the whole town, basically. Yeah. Um, so as the crowd leaves, they now believe there's five witches in their community with only three behind bars. So once home, Elizabeth started to have another attack and she said someone imaginary was poking and hurting her. She said Sarah Good was there, but was invisible. And when they went to check on Sarah Good in her cell, she was actually gone. Like she'd escaped. And when they found her the next morning, there was, like, blood on her arm. And so, like, they think, like, maybe she was there, like, hurting her. Um, And the magistrates questioned Tichuba further in her cell. And she said the tall man had brought her a book to sign. And when they asked, like, how many names are in this book, she said nine. So Hawthorne and Corwin are now like, wow, we got nine witches in town now. We got a lot of witches in here. Um, and Tituba said they only made marks, like they didn't write their name. They just like made a symbol or something. So she was like, I don't know who they are. So again, many today believe like Tituba was not being truthful. And a lot of her confessions were just coerced. I mean, we still see this today with someone mm-hmm. who, again, English is in your first language or have a lower IQ or, you know, your rank in society at this moment and you're going to do yeah. anything that's going to help you. <laughs> yeah. She was likely very scared and just trying to help her situation any way she could and just telling like the magistrates like what they wanted to hear. Um, And if they hadn't tried to push her and get her to say these things, like maybe this whole situation probably would have stopped before it is what it is today. But like these magistrates, they just kind of found what they viewed as the weakest link and were like, we're going to make her say whatever we want her mm-hmm. to say. They're like, someone in this town is going to be accused of being a witch. So do you want it to be you or do you want it to be someone else? Like, let us know your pick. Like, we're going to kill someone either way. (laughs) So Betty had another attack and Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne and Tichibo were sent to a Boston jail to await trial. And then on March 3rd, Annie Putnam said she was being tortured again. And she said this time the attackers were new to her. One was a woman she couldn't see clearly but the other was clear and she did claim it was dorothy good which was sarah good's five-year-old daughter again like she's she's five um and she said dorothy was holding the devil's book out to her and demanding her to sign it and unfortunately people believed her so they're like wow the five-year-old's a witch too yep you know those five-year-olds um, always making deals with the devil you know <laughs> yeah. you know i don't know my one-year-old would not surprise me i mean <laughs> she <laughs> She sold her soul to the devil. Um, And so eventually she was able to put a name to the other woman, Elizabeth Proctor. 
So Elizabeth Proctor was the 41-year-old mother of five children, and she was pregnant with her sixth. So her and her husband, John Proctor, owned a tavern north of the village, and they were a part of the wealthy Proctor family, members of the church, and owners of a lot of land. Um, And Elizabeth and John are, like, very well respected in the community. Like, this was a big shock to people because it's like, wait a minute. Like, she, no, no, it can't be her. (laughs) Like, um. However, her grandmother, Goody Burke, had been accused of witchcraft three decades earlier. So kind of like they have like a history. You're like, oh, oh, yeah, that oh. makes sense. Also, Goody Burke. I just <laughs> I just love it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. The whole Goody Goodman thing is just like not helpful with some of these last names. I was also <laughs> thinking like Sarah Good. So it's like Goody Good over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, So John was 20 years older than her and had inherited his wealth from his parents. And Elizabeth was pretty smart and frugal, so they worked really well together. Um, And they were a bit more progressive than their neighbors. um, And they were known to let local Native Americans drink in their tavern, which was a very big deal to the white people in the 1690s. (laughs) Um, People were so mad, they even took John and Elizabeth to court over it. So the angry man, Giles Corey, did have a reputation for being quite a hothead. We'll get into him more later. Um, And he did set someone's house on fire. And he had a teenage servant, like, beat very close to death. And the boy did die a few days later. So, like, he he had to, like, pay a fine for that, but, like, wasn't formally charged. Mm Because they were, like, he beat him so badly, it, like, led to his death. But there was, like, a delay. Like, it was a big loophole kind of thing. But, like, basically mm-hmm. everyone was, like, yeah, he murdered that guy. <laughs> oh, he didn't die the day of. So, therefore, that it, it wasn't yeah. me. It must have been something else that happened from these yeah. injuries. Yeah. So, John Proctor did win the case. And they continued serving Native Americans in their caverns. Um, they did have a servant whose family had, like, all died of tuberculosis, Mary Warren. And Elizabeth wasn't very nice to her. Um, So when the rumor, like when she heard the rumors from Annie, she kind of saw an opportunity. So on March 12th, she felt an attack. And basically John was like, quit it. Stop. (laughs) And she did until he left town a few days, left for town a few days later. Um, And then she said she had another vision, an attack. But this time it was Martha Corey, who's Giles Corey's wife which is another new name to all these accusations. And a lot of people in the community did not like the Corys. Like I said, I mean, hothead over here. Um, But they were surprised because Martha was kind of a high ranking member of the church. Um, So now this starts opening the door to more accusation accusations of church members. And the next was Rebecca nurse. So Rebecca was 71, 71 years old She was sickly and she was nearly deaf. Um, She had a very large family of grown children and grandchildren. And her husband, Francis Nurse, was still alive. And she had like a huge support network, you know. So she's like, I've lived my life. Now I got all my children and my grandchildren. And we're just, you know, we're just vibing. We're 70. (laughs) We're just chilling from here on out, you know. Just nothing else going on, you know. Just relax. Everything's good. I've done all I've had to do my whole life. and I'm going to chill. She was a member of the Salem Town Church and respected in the community. So she had adopted a Quaker orphan and a lot of people threw a fit about this because this was like, because it was a Quaker and not a Puritan, Mm -hmm. basically. Um, Even though it was an orphan. How dare you? Um, 
And so during this time, a new accuser starts to come forward. So before it was mostly all young women ranging from like nine to 16, but in the middle of this new wave, Anne Putnam Sr., Annie's mom, began to like report her own torment at the hands of these witches. So Anne was a 30-year-old mother and she was pregnant again and she was also well-respected and now she's like, I'm being attacked by witches. So like everyone's just being attacked by witches. Crazy how that happens. Right. <laughs> so during a sermon, all the girls started having fits again. And Martha Corey was arrested the next day because they were like, it's her, I guess. So the magistrates questioned her about the devil's book. And Mar- Martha is just like, what book? Like, I've never seen such a book. Um, and she was defending herself. But the judges viewed it as being like too confident and forward. They're like, she's too confident in herself. Like, what? You're stepping out of line. You know what they say um, about, you know, women who try to do or say anything. You just you just need to back up. You're aggressive. You you're a bitch. Up. You just need to get out we're, of here. We're accusing you of witchcraft that's punishable by death and you're defending yourself. Back up. <laughs> I don't think so. You just take your death calmly like everyone else would. Yeah. So Rebecca Nurse received a lot of the same treatment. She maintained her innocence, but during the questioning, Anne Putnam started accusing her of doing the devil's work. So there was another girl arrested, Abigail Hobbs, and she was like, yeah, I'm a witch and I'm proud of it. And in front of the magistrates, she spoke first saying like, I've seen sights and I've been wicked and I hope God can help me be better. Kind of taking a different approach. I mean, maybe she's seeing like all these people are defending themselves and it's not working. So I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm a witch. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I like it. Makes sense. Yeah, Good strategy, you know? you know, go for it. So now Annie Putnam is starting to have a vision of Joe, Joe, I almost said Joe Burrow. (laughs) He's just doing the most back then too, you know, just. (laughs) So Annie Putnam is now having a vision of George Burroughs hurting her. So George Burroughs was an ex-minister who had previously left the Salem community on bad terms. Um, And now the girls are also saying Abigail's Hobbs parents are attacking them too. So we're having more people accused, men accused now. Like, it's just everybody. This hysteria is just growing here. Yeah. So within 10 days of Abigail Hobbs' investigation, 15 more names were on the list of the accused. Um, Some were connected to old suspects, while some were kind of surprising to hear. So Giles Corey and Mary Warren were taken from their homes, examined, and jailed. Rebecca Nurse's younger sisters, Mary Eastie and Sarah Cloyce, were also arrested. Um, Nathaniel Putnam had his enslaved servant, Mary, arrested. And Bridget Bishop was also arrested again. So she had previously in the past been accused and acquitted of witchcraft. So um, Bridget Bishop was married and some neighbors considered her like confrontational, but really she just stood up for herself, basically. Um, and Again, now these, are, these women over here just, you know, running their mouths crazy. and trying to defend themselves. And I mean, obviously just a witch and obviously just too much. And so the arrests are also starting to spread to other places in Essex County. And there were arrests like all around Salem, but we're just kind of focusing on Salem itself because again, we would be here until 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so we're kind of trying to focus just on Salem. But William and Deliverance Hobbs, who were Abigail's parents, were also arrested at this time. 
So George Burroughs was also brought in for questioning, but he was in Maine and they didn't want him to run. So they had a group of men like secretly go up and capture him and bring him back for questioning. Cause they're like, if we say like, there's like a warrant out for his arrest, he's going to run. So we have to do this like in secret. And of course the girls who were afflicted acted out when George came into the meeting room. So they accused him of killing his previous wives and George tried to defend himself. But of course, no one's really buying it. Um, Basically, the community was like, he's guilty before like they even got him back to Salem for questioning. And on the day after George's arrest, the crisis did claim its first life. So Sarah Osborne was already sick when she was arrested and put in the jail cell. And these jails were not designed to hold people for a long time. Like these were supposed to be like quick turnaround. Like people describe them as hell, unsuitable to live in long term. Like back in those days, most of the time you were arrested and tried like the next day. There was no like long term thing. Um, And since Sarah Osborne was so sick, she did die in her jail cell in Boston, and she'd been held there for nine weeks in horrible conditions with no trial. So John Willard had married into the Wilkins family, and one of his relatives had been charged with witchcraft a few years back, and John was also known to beat his wife with a stick. Um, He had also used this discipline method with Putnam children, like when he babysat them. Um, And he was the deputy constable to Salem Village. So he was like kind of help like hauling the accused to the different jails, helping arrest people. However, eventually like hauling all these people to jail kind of started to get to him. And he was like, I think maybe what we're doing is like wrong. Like, I don't really think this is right. And he also kind of felt like the accusations the girls were making were lies. Like, he was like, I feel like this isn't true. Like, something doesn't add up here. Yeah. So he tried to, like, talk to them, like, to the girls and be like, you need to stop lying. And, of course, it backfired. And the next day, Annie Putnam is now saying she was attacked by John's spirits. And around this time, they had noticed he'd stopped serving warrants on those accused of witchcraft. So now all the like many girls in town are saying they're attacked by his spirit. With the accusation spreading, John Willard did fleece Salem. He's like, I got to get out of here. I got to leave because I'm next. Um, And a boy like did die. um, Not really with like any like relation actually to John Willard. Um, But they believed he'd been, like, bewitched to death by John Willard. So they're Mm -hmm. like, you know, he just died of who knows what back in the 1690s. And they were like, it was John Willard bewitching him. So he was finally caught, however, and arrested. So William Phipps was able to become governor in Massachusetts with help from his friend Increase Mather. And he decided to create a special court that was under English law. So on May 27th, he ordered the establishment of a special court of Oyer, which means to hear, and Terminer, which is to determine, for Suffolk, Essex, and Middlesex counties. So it's kind of like the same legal system that worked in old England, like kind of like what it is today, too. Like you have a grand jury that listens to the cases, an attorney general for Massachusetts that like presents the case. You have like jurors who decide on the case. Um, and in these days, it usually took two to three days, but basically like everyone was found guilty with these courts. It's like, you're basically always found guilty. Yeah. Like if you make it to that point, you might as well just say goodbye. Yeah. 
So after the court was announced, more and more accusations are just like quickly coming in. They even had trouble keeping up with the warrants because there are just so many. Um, but this, of course, did not stop them from arresting as many and as fast as they could. Um, so the special court had nine judges who, shocker, were all white, powerful, rich men. Did not see that Crazy. coming. Um, so the first case brought before the special court was Bridget Bishop. So they thought that this would be like they're most likely to get a conviction. So like we'll go ahead and try her first. So Bridget had married a man named Samuel in England, and they quickly had a child. Um, unfortunately, the newborn did die soon after birth, and then Samuel died not long after, but Bridget was pregnant with their second child at that time. So she decided to head to America, probably for a fresh start. And again, unfortunately, her second child then died as well. So she's just now completely alone. So two years later, she married again to Thomas Oliver, um, and Thomas had lost a spouse as well. Um, however, Thomas was abusive towards Bridget, and a neighbor said that she frequently saw Bridget with a bloody face and bruises. Bridget was seen publicly as like stubborn and too outspoken, again, like we've mentioned with a lot of these women, um, and she had called her husband an old devil. Um, and of course, now Bridget is being accused of being a witch for all of this. So long before the girls made their accusations, rumors of Bridget were being passed around town of people seeing her before their children like died or she was like hurting them, like they're connecting her to, you know, these children's death for no reason. So she was being charged with witchcraft, but she never had to go to trial. So then Thomas died in 1679 and Bridget was now responsible for his debts. So she spent most of the next year in court with people demanding, like trying to get their money back. Um, so in 1685, she met Edward Bishop and they got married and started a tavern. So she was later arrested for theft and spent three months in jail and she had to pay a fine and just really tarnished her reputation. And this was like the final straw for the community. So they're like, with this reputation, like she is a great person for us to go first with these trials. And of course, she's like, I don't even know what a witch is. I don't know what you're talking about. What's a um, witch? I don't know. <laughs> no, no idea. But she had lied some in her questioning, so they believed that she was lying about other things as well, but she did maintain her innocence throughout her trial. So it took the jury six days to issue their verdict, and they did find her guilty and sentenced her to death. So on June 10th, Bridget became the first person hanged on what was later called Gallows Hill. Um, so we don't know where she was buried. That information didn't hasn't made it into the last 400 years, so... Yeah, they said most people were buried, like, near where they were executed, but, mm -hmm. like, and some families might have come and got, like, their loved ones' bodies, but it's just, like, no one really knows. Yeah. So, on June 16th, Roger Tuthaker died in jail waiting for his trial. Roger was Martha Carrier's brother-in-law and worked as a folk healer. So, people started to have doubts around this time because they're like, it's one thing to throw around these accusations, but now three people have died because of these accusations, like either from being found guilty or dying in jail, awaiting your trial for these accusations. Um, so one of the nine judges in the court of Oyer and Terminer had actually resigned from his post because of this. 
So Rebecca Nurse's family had previously had some drama with the Putnams. Um, they did have some land issues where the town family had bought some land near them. And now Rebecca and her sisters, who, if we remember, are all in jail at this time on witchcraft charges um, and the accusations had come from the Putnam household. So we're starting to see some connections here. Yeah. Um, so they really didn't like Rebecca because she was married into a Salem town family, aligning herself with the Porters. Um, so Rebecca was a Salem town church member, not the stricter Salem village church. And they also didn't like Rebecca due to her taking in the orphan Quaker child, because remember, that's just blasphemy. How dare you take in an orphan child? I know such a horrible person. So her trial was up next after Bridget. So many came forward and testified against her, but her family brought many character witnesses to testify for her and to raise doubts against the girl's accusations. Um, her daughter, Sarah, even testified that she saw one of the girls take a needle and prick herself and then accused Rebecca of hurting her. Again, shocker. Yeah. Um, so at first, the jury came back with a not guilty verdict. Then the girls started going into fits, and then the jurors asked why an accused witch had testified that Rebecca was also a witch, and Rebecca said she is one of us. So when asked to elaborate further, she didn't say anything, but she was almost deaf, so she probably just couldn't hear exactly what was being asked or what was mm -hmm. happening. Um, so then they found her guilty. Um, and many think now that when she said one of us, she just meant like a fellow prisoner and not a fellow witch. So others were brought to trial on June 28th, including Sarah Good. So Sarah's daughter, Dorothy, was still in jail as well. And remember, she is only five. So, yeah, um, her trial was the opposite of Rebecca's. No one came to help testify for her. And Tichuba actually came to testify against her about the story she had told. And she was found guilty. So Susanna Martin was like Sarah Good. She was a widow who was all alone. Um, and Elizabeth Howe and Sarah Wilds were also seen at trial this day, and they were in connection to Rebecca. So Elizabeth Howe was Rebecca's sister-in-law. So Sarah Wilds was close with the nurse family, um, and both of them were declared guilty as well. So now we have five convicted witches this day alone. Um, and also just another little random fact here. If anyone has ever listened to the Strange and Unusual podcast, Elizabeth Howe is one of her ancestors. It's actually her 18th great grandmother. Which I also, thought was like pretty crazy. Like, that is that, like, insane. To be yeah. like, that was my 18th great grandmother who yeah. was found guilty of being a witch. Was one of the witches. Yeah. Also, I thought about trying to tell a joke and say, great-grandmother 18 times but i was like that's that's too much effort i'm not gonna <laughs> or great 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 okay so great, 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 i can't even get through the rest yeah, of the script much less trying to <laughs> trying to improv there so on july 19th sarah good elizabeth howe Susanna martin rebecca nurse and sarah wilds were hung to death um, people did start to confess to being a witch, but now it seems like they're just doing it to save their lives because they're like, okay, like they're denying it and they're being hung. So maybe I can try mm -hmm. to confess and we'll see what would happen. Um, and they would usually only name other people who had already died or had already been accused. And everyone's just trying to save themselves at this point. Yeah. So from August 2nd through the 5th, the third round of trials started up. So Martha Carrier, 
who is known as the Queen of Hell, went to trial as well as John and Elizabeth Proctor. Um, so John and Elizabeth Proctor were were well-respected members of the community, and George Jacobs and John Willard also went to trial. So remember we talked about John Willard earlier. Um, his trial was over in a few hours. Um, George Jacobs was an illiterate farmer with a wild sense of humor, and some of the original afflicted girls came forward to say that George's spirits attacked them. Um, they even said that they could see it during the trial, and George Burroughs' trial was also to begin during this round. So George Burroughs was a minister, but he did get the nickname of the King of Hell, and he was also accused of being the leader of the witches. His trial began on August 5th, and a lot of people testified against him, and witnesses talked about how he had tormented them, um, and some of the afflicted also like fell into trances and fits during his trial. Again, just complete circus, like Courtney said earlier. So George Burroughs, Martha Carrier, George Jacobs, John Proctor, Elizabeth Proctor, and John Willard were all found guilty of witchcraft and sentenced to death by hanging. So Elizabeth Proctor was pregnant, and in those days, you could, quote, plead your belly. So basically, like, she would not be hung until after she gave birth. Um, so the rest of the group were executed on August 19th. Um, George Burroughs declared his innocence and then recited the Lord's Prayer. Um, so it was understood at this time that a witch could not recite the Lord's Prayer. So the crowd is obviously, like, starting to feel some doubt at this point, but... At this point, there's no turning back. Like, this is what we're doing. We're going with it. Yeah. Because they're like, a witch could never say the Lord's Prayer. And then here he is, like... Yeah. And, like, apparently, like, they were saying in the Unobscured podcast, like, they would line them up and just walk and push them off, like, one by one. Oh, and I'm God. just like, oh, my gosh. Could you imagine how horrible that would oh, be? To just be awful. like, well, they're coming for me next. And just like, standing there just and waiting. Oh, so yeah. People just watching it. Mm, yeah. So the fourth session of trials were now coming up. Um, so Samuel Wardwell was part of this trials um, this round as well. And he had a reputation for fortune telling and divination, which many viewed as skills of a witch. So Samuel was really proud of these skills. And he had at one point said that he had been baptized by the devil in a local river. So people are not looking... Um, fondly upon him again a lot of samuels in the story as well samuels and sarah's i mean they're just and john's and john's george's and mary's <laughs> there's like mary's there's like all the same names like yes wrote to abigail's yeah and like so many yeah so alice parker was the wife of john parker um, and Alice was prone to seizures and, like, just kind of made people uncomfortable. She had a bit of a temper. Um, Mary Warren was a neighbor, and years before, she had caused a scene at the Warren home. And Alice had asked Mary's father to help her with landkeeping, and he agreed, but never showed up. So Alice went to their house and yelled at him. And then soon after, most of Mary's family got sick, and many of them died. So obviously she like you do who the family took in because her whole family died of tuberculosis mm -hmm. so she was like it wasn't tuberculosis it was a witch <laughs> yep yep so mary accused alice of ruining her entire family and alice parker was found guilty of witchcraft so mary easty also went to trial so if you remember uh, in these many many marys um she was mm -hmm. rebecca nurse's sister um, so Mary had worked hard to defend her sister, and the court believed that a witch would defend another witch, obviously. 
Um, so Mary was married to Isaac Eastie and had 12 children. She was younger than Rebecca. She was in her 50s. And eight men testified that they had witnessed Mary hurting someone. So like Rebecca, she brought a petition and a list of people who would vouch for her character. However, Mary was also found guilty. I know you guys are so surprised. <laughs> yeah, right. So Mary Bradbury was brought to Salem from a northern city. Um, She also had prior accusations of witchcraft, and many of the afflicted girls said that she had attacked them that year, and she was found guilty. So after Mary Bradbury and Mary Eastie's convictions, Samuel Wardwell, Ann Foster, and her daughter Mary Lacey from a neighboring city were also found guilty. And Abigail Hobbs, who had previously claimed to be a witch, was found guilty. And her testimony helped find other people guilty as well. On September 22nd, Martha Corey, Mary Eastie, Alice Parker, Samuel Wardwell, and Pudiator Wilma Red and Margaret Scott were executed by hanging. Unfortunately, we don't know much about Anne Pudiator, Wilma Red, and Margaret Scott. Um, Mary Bradbury was not in the list of people executed that day because she had actually escaped, um, and she wasn't the only one who had escaped. It did happen a lot at the Boston jail, and a lot of people, um, a lot of historians think that the jailers probably took bribes, so it wasn't uncommon for some of them to be able to escape. So Giles Corey, um, we've talked about a little bit already. Um, he was an 81-year-old farmer with a bad reputation, just really rough-spoken, like kind of vile, got into a lot of fights with his neighbors. Um, he would steal things that he thought he deserved. He didn't really have any friends in the community. He was kind of a hard man to like. Um, and when his wife Martha was arrested, they knew that he'd follow soon. Um, so he maintained his innocence and said, like, how ridiculous the accusations were. And Giles was ready to fight back, especially after Martha was executed. So Giles refused to speak during his trial and answer, like, how he wanted to be tried. So with this, they're, like, not really sure what to do. But English law did allow them to use strong and cruel punishment. And so on September 19th, he was led to an open pasture. He was placed on the ground face up with boards placed onto his body to make a platform. And then one by one, they placed heavy stones on the board. So this is clearly just torture. Like, yeah. can you imagine? So Giles refused to speak until eventually, with hundreds of pounds of stone on him, he said, more weight. And this was the first and last execution by pressing in the Massachusetts colony. Which, even though they say, like, Giles Corey was just kind of a menace and he was clearly, like, a racist, I'm just like, you go. You make them, (laughs) like, you don't give them the satisfaction of a trial. And, like, when they're, like, oh, he's finally about to speak, you, you just go, more weight. Like, like keep doing it. Yeah, That's a pretty badass move right there. <laughs> he's he practiced for that for a lot of years, apparently. Yeah. So, five days later, Cotton Mather wrote many papers believing that spectral evidence should be used to, convi- to indict but not convict. So, spectral evidence is how everyone's, like, I'm having a dream, I'm having a vision, like, these kind of more supernatural kind of things, not like actually seeing someone hurt you being like, I see them in my dream. I see them in a vision kind of like that. So the men in charge voted and by a very narrow amount, they did vote to allow spectral evidence. 
Governor Phipps was trying to not act too fast, and he tried to stay out of it as long as he could because his wife had also been accused. So stepping in now, they're like, it's going to look like you're only doing it for personal gain and you're supporting a witch. So he's kind of trying to, like, agree with not allowing it, but he can't act too fast or it looks bad. So Governor Phipps dissolved the court of Oyer and Terminer, and he declared, like, no more arrests but a few, like a week after, a few more people were arrested. So they're just still doing it. And a lot of families who had more wealth could now likely like buy their way out of jail, but many just were not that lucky. And in December 1692, they were still waiting for like this new court system to begin. Um, and so Anne Foster actually passed away in jail on December 9th. And on December 10th, someone finally paid five-year-old Dorothy Goods bail. And she had spent 10 months in chains. And, like, obviously this affected her for the rest of her life when you're five yeah. years old. And, like, people are dying around you and you're in horrible conditions. And accused of being a witch, as you see all of these people in your community accused of being witches just being killed off. And, and like, you are your mom. five. Yeah. Like your mom was hanged, like just horrible. So new trials would start in January through the Massachusetts Superior Court. So on January 4th, 1693, the Superior Court heard its first case. So it was kind of similar to the court of Oyer and Terminer where, you know, evidence presented to the jury, they decide. However, in this new court, spect spectral evidence was no longer considered evidence. So you could not allow a lot of what was in the previous trials like in this new court so many of the defendants were actually now being acquitted and dismissed like logic is finally coming into salem <laughs> finally we're getting a little bit of logic in here, here we go so by january 14th over 50 cases of witchcraft have been heard 30 of them have been thrown out with the label of ignoramus um, one of those who was thrown out was Sarah Cloyce, who was the sister of Rebecca Nurse and Mary Easy. Um, and 21 cases actually went to trial, but only three were found guilty. So this is a very big difference from the court of Oyer and Terminer, where every single person was found guilty. Yeah. Um, now, Elizabeth Proctor did soon give birth to her baby, so the safety net of her pregnancy was now gone, um, and she did likely give birth to her son alone in the jail. She did name him John, just like his father. Um, so on February 1st, they went to execute the last eight accused of witchcraft. However, they received a message from Governor Phipps that they all got a reprieve and they were to be set free. Um, this reprieve didn't really like close the door on the trials, though. Like trials were still going on, but like no one else was going to be like executed after being accused of, or found guilty of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. So they were trying to wrap up like all these remaining open cases. Lydia Dustin was one who had been um, hounded for years by the accusations of witchcraft. All the evidence against her was spectral and that was no longer permissible. So the jury did acquit her, but she like had to pay her jail fee to go home. So she returned to the jail. So even when you were found dismissed, you weren't just like let loose. Like you had to pay like your jail fee. So if your money, if your family was poor or you had no money because half your family was just hung because they were found guilty of being a witch. Um, you just had to sit there and that's what happened. She had to wait for her family to gather the funds to release her. 
And while she was there, she did become sick. And even after going home, she could not fight it. And she died on March 10th, 1963. And she is the official final victim of the Salem witch trials as far as like deaths go. So on May 10th, the court met to hear the rest of the cases. All were either found thrown out or found not guilty. Um, Tituba was one of the people whose case was dismissed. However, no one would pay Tituba's, Tituba's bail. She was in jail for about a year before anyone paid her bail. Um, and basically because she was an enslaved person, she did just kind of become like, quote, property of the state and was sold. Um, but there's really no transaction, like record of the transaction, like who Ugh. bought her, anything like that. Yeah. A human being being sold like so horrific yeah years later tichuba was interviewed and she did say samuel paris had beaten a confession out of her um unfortunately we don't really know what happened to tichuba after she was released from jail and the rest of her life um and in 1703 the convictions of abigail faulkner sarah wardwell and elizabeth proctor were reversed now in august of 1706 little annie putnam who is one of the chief invest investigators <laughs> of this whole spectral evidence is asking to become a member of the church. So she formulated an apology and confessed that she now believed all the people who were found guilty were innocent. And she stood in front of the congregation and apologized and said she was led astray and misguided. Um, one historian on the podcast was like, she's acting like she was possessed by the devil, which she's accusing everyone else of. <laughs> like, right? um, like what? And the congregation accepted her and she became a full member of the church. So these four girls or multiple girls, but mostly those four just kind of got to continue living their life like nothing happened. So many in Salem wanted the government to revoke the charges of those who'd been executed and like also wanted financial compensation. So a lot of the victims' families were left in destruction. Like if you lost your wife, if you lost your husband, like that's a big deal. I mean, and you know, in 1710, Massachusetts legislature set up a committee to investigate what else they may be able to do. And when they came to Salem, they actually received 45 petitions for restitution. Um, so they did reverse the property seizures of 12 executed witches, as well as Giles Corey and seven others who'd been convicted and not killed. Um, seven convictions at this time stayed in place. Bridget Bishop, Susanna Martin, Alice Parker, Anne Pudiator, Wilma Red, Margaret Scott, and Elizabeth Johnson. So their convictions were not reversed until 2001, 300 years later. Like, uh, wow. Wow. Because like this whole time, they're still acting like, well, there are still some people who deserve to be killed for being witches, but but not yeah. all of them. We'll reverse some of them, but like, but like y'all over here, this girl, like you guys were legit witches doing what? Mm -hmm. Like, how are we still thinking at this point? Like we've reached past the point where we're not accusing everyone of being a witch, but we're like, mm, okay, but this group still was for three hundred yeah. years. Uh, wow. It's absolutely insane. And overall, though, after the Salem trials, there is a deafening silence. So many, many records were purged. Court documents were purged. They tried to cover this up as quickly as possible. So not only are like these personal records missing, almost all of the documents from the court of Oyer and Terminer are gone. They have every single one from the Superior Court. It's kept. 
Um, historians do still occasionally find some from the court and Oyer and Terminer, but it's not frequent. Most of it was destroyed, covered up. Like they weren't trying to right wrongs. They were just trying to cover it up. Mm-hmm. So Phipps eventually did pardon all the people who were in prison on witchcraft charges by May 1693. But at this point, I mean, it's a little too late. 19 people have been hanged on Gallows Hill. 71-year-old man has been pressed to death with heavy stones. People are dying in jail. Nearly 200 overall have been accused of practicing the, quote, devil's magic. 200 people. And it's not that big town. (laughs) So... Following the trials and execution, many involved, like Judge Samuel Sewell, publicly confessed error and guilt. And on January 14th, 1697, the general court ordered a day of fasting and soul-searching for the tragedy in Salem. They ordered a yep, lot of that's these gonna during fix the whole it. thing. That's going to fix it, during, for sure. Like, the whole trials and everything, there were so many days of fasting it's like, no wonder y'all are all grumpy because you're hungry. No wonder exactly. so many people are getting accused. Like, no shit. Y'all are thinking everyone's a witch. Like, you're, you're just hangry over here. Like, yeah. In 1702, the courts declared, like, all the rituals unlawful. In 1711, the colony passed a bill restoring the rights and good names of those accused and granted 600 pounds restitution to their heirs. However, it was not until 1957, 250 years later, that the state of Massachusetts formally apologized for the events of 1692. So many scientists do try to explain like what occurred in Salem in 1692, like what in the hell happened here? So one of like the more like concrete theories published in 1976 by psychologist Linda Caporal in science the magazine blamed the abnormal habits of the accused on the fungus ergot which can be found in rye wheat and other like cereal grasses so toxicologists say that eating ergot and contaminated foods can lead to like muscle spasms vomiting delusions hallucinations also the fungus thrives in warm and damp climates not too unlike the swampy meadows in salem village where rye was the staple grain during spring and summer months However, most historians disagree. Um, they say ergot poison poisoning is like more likely in people with a vitamin A deficiency, but a great source of vitamin A is fish. And Salem is a port community, so they're not low on fish. And all of like the afflicted were from like wealthy families. So it's like it's not likely that Annie Putnam was not having who was having a bad diet. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. really add up. Yeah. Some believe it could be encephalitis which is like an inflammation of the brain uh, another ex- another possible explanation is that sometimes it can be seen in children um that they start to have seizures and fits in extremely religious households which a lot of the girls were in but none of these theories really just like hit the nail perfectly on the head um and a lot of people like a lot of historians are like it is fear and politics like these families were fighting in the community and they were like look at all of like the mass hysteria we see in other parts of history the holocaust the red scare anything like that like it's mass hysteria where like people just lose all logic like all comes down to just 
hating people who are different from you and like Mm -hmm. and separating people and trying to find some identifier that makes you good and them bad and that's really what all it boils down to slippery slope these girls start getting attention because they're having fits and then they're just accusing everyone and it's just like it's a slippery slope and everyone just gets it's mass hysteria it like starts small and it just grows like Mm -hmm. (laughs) so in the 20th century artists and scientists have been fascinated by the salem witch trials um arthur miller wrote the play the crucible in 1953 which is great i do recommend reading it um and many retellings of the salem witch trials heavily focus on tituba so a lot in the narrative she's described as like black but she was actually like an indigenous person Um, And a lot of the storytelling also turns her into, like, the sole reason any of this happened. Like, they're pretending, like, she's the one who could, like, actually perform witchcraft. And, like, she was just, like, cursing this whole, like, town. And a lot of people say it was, like, all her fault. But if you've been listening to this podcast, I think you can agree that is not true. (laughs) That she was a pawn in these Mm -hmm. people's games. Yeah. Um, And it's just, like so disrespectful for her memory of like how scapegoated she was and they can't even get like her ethnicity right when they're like retelling stories of her like they're making her like a different person yeah and like they're blaming everything on her when she was also a victim in all of this you know who was someone who had no power in her community but they act like she's the sole reason for this in august 1992 to mark the 300th anniversary of the trials Elie Wiesel dedicated the Witch Trials Museum in Salem. Also in Salem, the Peabody Essex Museum houses the original court documents and the town's most visited attraction, the Salem Witch Museum. So we do know a lot of these hangings happened at Gallows Hill, but they didn't really know like the exact location. And in 1921, local historian Sidney Purley believed he'd found the exact spots of the executions near the base of the hill on Proctor's Ledge. So his conclusion led the city of Salem to purchase the land in 1936, calling it, quote, witch memorial land. However, there was like no memorial here. Like they just kind of bought the land, but didn't put anything to market. So in 2016, scientists did confirm that Proctor's Ledge was the execution site. So they went ahead and like investigated it and they're like, this is the correct spot. Um, And a simple memorial was erected on July 19th, 2017, which was the 300 and 25th anniversary of the hanging of Sarah Good, Elizabeth Howe, Susanna Martin, Rebecca Nurse, and Sarah Wilds. So it's like a semi-circular wall with stones engraved like with the name of the victims. Um, I know a lot of us also have the image of the Salem witch trials of like women burning at the stake, women being thrown into lakes to see if they can float. That didn't happen in Salem, basically. Um, it wasn't like that traditional witch hunt we imagined. So there were a lot of people accused, but they were hung, like they weren't burned, which I think is a misconception like a lot of us have, um, Mm -hmm. which kind of probably did happen in England a lot, a lot of these like weird stuff. But as far as like Salem goes, like that didn't happen. Yeah. So this is the story of the executions of Bridget Bishop, Sarah Good, Rebecca Nurse, Elizabeth Howe, Susanna Martin, Sarah Wilds, George Burroughs, George Jacobs Sr., Martha Carrier, John Proctor, John Willard, Martha Corey, Mary Eastie, Mary Parker, Alice Parker, and Pudiator, Wilma Red, Margaret Scott, Samuel Wardwell, and Giles Corey. Um, and the people who died in jail or from illness, like from jail, Ann Foster, Sarah Osborne, and Lydia Dustin. 
And as we said, over 200 people accused whose reputations were probably ruined. And like just such a weird like cultural phenomenon that this happened, you know? And I mean, again, like Mm -hmm. we said, this has happened in many other ways to other groups of people at other points in history, but just such a wild, like just from like some random girls having these fits that could have been caused from something else, could have literally just been made up, no idea. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, all of these people are just murdered and so many more accused or run out of town or whatever. Yeah, so many people escaped, so many people ran, so many people were left in jail for a long time because they could not pay jail fees. Mm -hmm. Um, People who lost their husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, daughters, sons, family members, friends, like the effect this has on this community. Salem was not that big. And this is Mm -hmm. a lot of people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just madness. Yeah. If you guys have been to Salem, if you've been to the museum, um, definitely let us know. I would love to visit one day. Um, I want to go really badly. (laughs) Yeah. I think that would be super interesting and would love to see more about it, you know, in person and, I'm sure that, um, I would hope the museum is like respectfully done and has, you know, a lot of good information. I can imagine that it does. And yeah, I just saw someone who went there and there's like a lot of places you can go. Like you can actually go to Rebecca nurse's house and oh, they wow. have a lot of stuff like from the 1600s in there and like Proctor's ledge, you know, different like places. And they have mm-hmm. like a place where you can see where the meeting hall was mm-hmm. and like, stuff like that where you know it's very historical and stuff um well we will have to add that to our caffeinated crimes world tour that we're going to go on and (laughs) yes a live show in salem would anyone even come probably not (laughs) you know what we'll be there that's okay that's all that matters yeah um yeah so all that being said um courtney what is your perk of the week So my perk of the week is it has been a while since we recorded. And in that time, one of my longest friends got married Mm -hmm. and she's officially a wife. Um, And it was, it was a great weekend and it was a great day. Um, And we tried just really hard to make it the perfect day for her. And it was just so fun. And um, it was really a great day, you know. Hurricane Ian was trying to to press in, but you know, it was, it was fine. Like it held off rain and honestly started raining during the ceremony. And it was honestly just kind of magical. Yeah. Like me and Ashton were like, it just felt like, cause it was like in like around all these trees and it just kind of felt right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then there was like a pavilion covering the rest and yeah. Lord have mercy. Was that the best food I've ever had at a wedding? Oh. Those people were oh, that mac and tell. cheese. Mm. It, was a, it was like herb chicken. I don't know what was on it. I know mm-hmm. rosemary because I saw the little rosemary pieces, but mm-hmm. it was so good and so tender. And then there was mac and cheese. That was great. The Caesar salad was really good and probably the best cornbread I've ever had. It was, it was very good. That sounds That delicious. catering company. She said it was like a catering company of like people who worked in like hospitality, like restaurants and mm-hmm. hotels and stuff. And they all got mm-hmm. laid off during COVID. And so they oh, formed wow. a catering business together. But that is so cool. I love but it. It was awesome. And con- oh, she's our, she's my longtime friend, our OG listener, our Patreon, mm-hmm. Katie. Congrats on such a beautiful day. Um, it was great. And I was so excited I got to be a part of it. Yes. Congratulations, but- Katie. Jacqueline, what is your perk of the week? 
Um, So my perk of the week is that this past weekend, I got to see my family, which also includes Courtney, of course, um, because she is my family now. Um, But (laughs) I uh, weaseled my way in. I'm like, exactly. You guys are going to hang out with me, whether you like me or not. Courtney's like, I am a part of this family. (laughs) I'm your cousin. It's me. Here I am. Yes. So we um, went down to Treasure Island, Florida with my aunt and my cousin to spread my uncle's ashes. Um, So it was a very bittersweet. Um, It was an absolutely gorgeous day, just like perfect weather. Um, So it was very nice. in the sky. Yep. Literally. Like Courtney was like sitting there and then she's like looking and she's like literally not a single cloud in the sky. Like because we were just looking ahead and I was like not a cloud in the sky. And then I looked all around. I was like, I literally cannot find it. Literally. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was really nice. It was too short of a trip, you know, like always, but it was uh, a very quick little weekend, but it was nice to be able to be there with my family for that and to get to see everybody. And, you know, we still had a good time, even though we were there for, you know, a not so happy reason, but it was, um, it was bittersweet and it was a nice, you know, goodbye too. So, yeah. So, yeah, so you can tell us um, all about your experience in Salem, Massachusetts. Um, tell us about all your pets named Salem. You know, I don't tell know. Tell us what things. you're being for Halloween. Yes. We yes. Happy our- Halloween. Happy Halloween. And yes. we reveal what we're being for Halloween in our Patreon episode. Mm-hmm. So not to plug it twice, but I'm plugging it twice because do it. we need more Patreons. No <laughs> one's joined in a while. Y'all are dropping like flies and we're poor. <laughs> Come on back, guys. Come Am I desperate? Back. A little bit. <laughs> um, Sorry, I just whacked the shit out of my microphone. Um, But we also in the Patreon episode that comes out this week. Thursday, next week this week from now yes yes so the patreon episode that comes out this week is also halloween themed about how to make sure you're not buying a haunted house so if you mm-hmm. want to learn some of those details again you could head on over to patreon.com slash caffeinated crimes where you can see this video version of this episode you can see me getting my cat out of a suitcase in the background you can see our um virtual halloween themed backgrounds that we have going on um we have all of our bonus episodes we have our discord we have hangouts we have something else that was in my brain ad free episodes if you guys don't want to hear the ads in the episode they are all ad free over on patreon.com for as little as patreon.com slash caffeinated crimes for as little (laughs) as three dollars a month so definitely check that out um, we are also on Instagram at Caffeinated Crimes Pod. We are on Facebook at Caffeinated Crimes Podcast. We are on Twitter at Caff Crimes Pod. That's C A F F Crimes Pod. You can email us at Caffeinated Crimes Pod at gmail.com. Yeah. And as always, please, please, please leave us a happy review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. I don't know if you saw, we just got another five star review from someone. Oh. I don't know who it is. So thank oh, you, that's friend, exciting. whoever you are. Yes. Um, so please just leave us good reviews. It helps us get noticed. Tell your friends about us, like share it. You can be like me and in the middle of your Brazilian wax, tell your waxer that you have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there, right? Plug it anyway, you can. Um, but in the meantime, go have a spooky cup of coffee. And don't commit any crimes or accuse anyone of being witches. Yeah. Trick or treat.